Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back. I feel like I can never say that enough. We are here for another episode of These Are The Facts podcast. It's me and my lovely co-host, Brooke. And today, we have the honor of having another guest on. I feel like we've been in a guesty mood, so we're going to top it off with a girl. Uh, let me correct myself. A lady who is unstoppable what we call a health care hero, and she's going to change the world. Miss Bridge Bridge, do you want to introduce yourself to our lovely listeners? Absolutely. Hello, my name is Bridget. I go to college with the wonderful and amazing Mary Beth and Brooke, and I am super excited to be on here today to talk to y'all. I'm excited to have you. I feel like with you and I graduating this year, I... I'm kind of kind of nervous and like I know we've talked about this cuz you know me I am nervous about this social transition of ours and making a new community and I'm really hoping like reflecting back on this podcast and our times here you know we'll still be able to kind of continue what we've made I definitely agree I think leaving college is going to be a huge shift for me and honestly for anyone our age Because when I think back to my own life, growing up, we basically had a built-in community our whole lives. I think so. I think especially like K through 12, when you think about who you were friends with and who you talked to, it was the people that you went to school with. It was the people that you did sports with. It's the people who lived in the same neighborhood as you. And now that we're graduating and there's not an institution, you know, looming over us, how do we find that? How do we make that community? I agree. I think back to all the, I like to call them friends of convenience, just because like you said, everything was built around us for us. Mm -hmm. And going into like the workplace, you know, as a new grad, you don't really know anyone. You're trying to develop your own sense of identity in your workplace and your own, you know, sense of professionalism, all while trying to find a group of friends and find a sense of community outside of work. Because I think work-life balance is so important, especially right now with COVID and everything being online and not being able to have those boundaries. So it's definitely a huge transition. Yes. And I know, so like for myself, I know we're in different situations in that when you start work, you will work in person, you know, in a hospital. Whereas for me, at this point, I'm working virtual at least through September. And so even the idea of having, you know, work friends as friends of convenience, as you said, you know, what am I supposed to do with these people? Let's have a Zoom cocktail hour. (laughs) That would be wild. (laughs) Yeah, it would be. It happens. My sister and her group, because she, there's a lot of people her age in her rotational and training program, and they have like Friday night Zoom cocktail hours. Wow, that's definitely interesting. And I agree, there's a huge difference between you and I. And I also think in healthcare, there's an issue of burnout right now with COVID. And so I can even think about as a new grad, kind of going in wide-eyed and naive, I'm excited to make friends with coworkers. I'm excited to like gain insight and have that mentorship. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they may not be in that place right now because they've all been working overtime and they've been working through this pandemic. So even I'm a little nervous within my own profession, kind of finding my own feet while also, you know, trying to figure out if I'm going to find a mentor or find a community within my profession. Yes. I haven't even, oh God, I haven't even thought about like 
how that's going to affect mentorship and everything. I don't know. I'm just freaking out about it because I feel like with college, it's easy with your involvement and with your family, like your family's there. But now someone doesn't want to be friends with me. They don't have to be friends with me. And I have all this time. You know, I work a nine to five when you work a seven to seven. What the heck am I supposed to do with those extra five hours before I go to bed every day? No, it's honestly terrifying. I was literally talking to someone the other day. Three 12-hour shifts a week honestly terrifies me. What am I supposed to do with those four other days? And you said it perfectly when, you know, if someone doesn't want to be my friend, they don't have to talk to me anymore. I think about in high school when I graduated, I remember thinking I'm never going to talk to any of these people again. And it was a sense of relief. And now graduating college, I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I hope I get to talk to these people still. I, I don't want to never talk to these people again. So it's it's an interesting shift. And so I think leaving college, there's going to have to be a significant amount of intentionality that I didn't have in high school. And it's going to be interesting to see how I continue to foster relationships from college and, you know, like determining who I want to leave behind and who I want to take with me. I think so. I also think, at least for me, because I don't have big groups of friends, we, since we're joining that little volunteer group, I am definitely hoping that we meet a lot of good women out of there because I know one of the problems that I have faced in this area, and this might be a little nose in the air for me, but I feel like a lot of the people that I've met in college and have interacted with throughout my four years, I've interacted with them because there's not really people, I don't want to say breeding or caliber, but the same background as me. No, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I think you attract the people of your caliber. And I think that's why for me, people always tell me I'm a little intimidating just because it's hard for me to like bond with people who aren't willing to like be vulnerable and to push themselves to like outside of their comfort zone and to be confident. You know, it took me a long time to find my sense of self-confidence um, in the professional workplace and within college and in my own life. So it's hard for me sometimes to, you know, to not be around people like that. Yes, and I I agree. And I think that now that we won't, like, there won't be an institution over us, as we've said, you're going to have more freedom in who you choose to have your friends. And so I think it's going to be much more intentional with who I choose to keep the company of and who I choose not to keep the company of, but also who chooses to keep me as their company. Because I know that sometimes I can be a little brusque and I can be a little forward and sometimes off-putting. And so I've definitely been working on making myself softer around the edges, but still being able to maintain like my integrity and morals that I have. Absolutely. And I think for me, it's kind of a little bit on the other side, not in a bad way, but just I know for me, I have a lot of issues asserting boundaries. I say I'm confident and I am in a lot of aspects of my life, but for me, it's hard to set boundaries. And I also don't have the greatest time management. Um, you both can speak to the fact that I do disappear. <laughs> Yes. for maybe weeks at a time and then I come back and act like nothing's happened or changed and I Correct. have like three hours worth of stories to tell y'all so you know that's definitely something in you know an adult world like isn't necessarily as okay as it is in college you know you guys we live in the same building so we could very easily just knock on my door and be like where are you at but you know when you're an adult you can't really do that and so for me I know it's gonna be a lot of work on my plate to not do that to be more intentional to like deliberately continue to reach out until it becomes a little more organic 
So that's also going to be some work on my end as well. This brings an interesting question for me because as somebody who is not graduating this year, um, as you both are, and I feel like you both, as you just described, kind of tend to be on like opposite sides of the spectrum in, in how you, you know, interact with others sometimes. But like, how do you both plan on continuing to be intentional with people and continuing to be friends with like keeping the friends that you have made and also you know, creating new ones? I think for me, I have already started identifying people in my life who I know I want to commit time to. I think about, I have friends who have already accepted jobs in other states and, you know, thinking about my life without have, without them in my support system makes me uh, uncomfortable. Like I, I want them in my life. I want them to be a part of my support system. So for me, it's really taking the time to reflect on who is in my support system and who I want to stay with me and knowing that it's on me now. So I think about, you know, I have like two or three people in mind who are moving out of state and I've already started laying the groundwork. I've already, you know, illustrated to them, I want you in my life. Like after we graduate, don't think you're getting rid of me yet. And (laughs) and laying that groundwork early, you know, then going from there. And when I enter into the workforce, obviously that may look a little different. I don't know. MB, what do you think? I think... Honestly, I (laughs) haven't been putting in the work like you. I kind of have been pushing it off. But I I think for me, I'm lucky in that the company that I'm going to work for, I am in a rotational program. So there will be a lot of people my age there and it's a younger company. So that will really work to my benefit. However, I do not typically associate myself with people who are in the same field of study. Y'all know I have a little bit of frustration with my peers. That's kind of something I'm big time concerned about. But I think with others, I think with the friends I have now, I'm not overly concerned about it because the ones that I want to keep, I have already made the effort to keep with them. So like my best friend, we have no overlap in our lives except for each other. And we always get lunch on Thursdays and we talk most days. We FaceTime most Fridays. So like I know he's not going anywhere. And then like my friend Alyssa, she's not going anywhere. I see her most Mondays and We try to see each other whenever we're not working. We're both kind of chasing our dreams. And so a lot more of our communication happens over FaceTime than necessarily in person. But I also know that, you know, if I need a support system, she's there for me and she knows that I'm there for her. And so I think for me, it's really understanding that not all friendships are going to look alike. They're going to have different purposes and they're going to have different formats. And that's okay. I just have to remind myself. That as much as that other person is going to be willing to put themselves out there, I have to be willing to put myself out and not just think that I'm annoying everybody. No, I definitely agree, Mary Beth. And I think about the units that I've worked on within my program. A lot of the nurses are older, more established. A lot of them have kids. A lot of them are in serious relationships. Some of them are ready to retire. And, you know, I may be the only new grad joining that unit. And so it's it's not going to be Uh, you know, for you, you more have a rotational situation where you have people more your age where I may not have that, you know, multiple new grads on one unit uh, being hired at a time isn't always as common. So I know for me, my sense of community within my workplace may look a little different. You know, I may I may be offering to dog sit or kind of help other people in those aspects. And that's a great community to have. But you know, having people your own age that you can still have that support with is important. So I I, I definitely agree uh, with what you're saying. 
I think going off of that, so what is one way that, Bridget specifically, but you too, Mary Beth, that you are planning on kind of creating a community of your peers that is outside of your workplace and outside of your, again, like an institution that's set up around you? Well, I think Mary Beth already brought up the volunteer group that we're a part of. It's kind of a group of women who are empowered to make change in their community and volunteer and things of that aspect. So I think for me, it was is was identifying an organization such as that. So finding something that I value and finding an organization that I can transition to right after I graduate is really important. And that can go for anyone. Um, you know, when you're in college, you can be a part of student organizations kind of by association, right? I'm in the French club. Do I go to all the French club meetings? Maybe not. Do I go to the ones that have food? Probably. It's a great program. And I'm sure if I put in the time, there'd be a lot of cool people that I could be friends with. But when you graduate, you won't really have those those groups that you can seamlessly kind of go in and out of. And so it's it's really reflecting on your morals. And when everything strips away, right, when I, when I clock in and out of those 12-hour shifts, what, what do I want to spend my time doing? And right now with COVID, we're all super burnt out. And so right now that looks like Netflix and scrolling through TikTok, but that's not going to be able to continue into an adult life. We have to be able to to find groups of people that can push us. So identifying an organization, I think, is a really good uh, opportunity because it's it's going to be a small sense of community that you can cultivate. I also think to add on to that, where you'll find your group of friends is going to be uh, it's kind of like when you, I don't really know how to say this, but when you graduate and you go to work and you don't continue like with an in-person master's or PhD or professional schooling, it kind of becomes a period of self-exploration because you are no longer carrying that identity of a student that you've carried for the first 21 years of your life. You know, you are now Mary Beth and Mary Beth works at blank. And Mary Beth lives at Bling, and Mary Beth's hobbies are non-existent right now. So <laughs> it, it's like, okay, well, I need to figure out things that I can do that will help me to build a community. So like, maybe for me, that's going to look like going back to the gym and maybe re-getting a Zumba certification and teaching Zumba or finding Zumba classes that I like. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm going to join a a roller ring, a roller derby team and get all up in there and get some of those frustrations out. Maybe I'm going to join a book club. Like there are different things that you can find. And I think that that's a good way to not only find yourself and really who you are, but then also lead to people that you genuinely want to build connections with and build a community. I think that that is great. And I think that, you know, Bridget, you really hit it on the you hit it on the head earlier with having to be intentional about everything. And it's it's going to take a lot more effort on, on your parts, you know, to not only continue with people, but to create that new community and to put yourself out there. And that can be, you know, really difficult and really scary at first. But I think in the long run, it's It'll be great and you guys will be able to meet new people and, and build your support system, your surrounding community. Yeah, and I think especially for you, Bridget, like that sense of community is important into the work that you want to do. So maybe if you want to talk about that some more, yeah, I'd def- be interested to learn more. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know I was kind of mentioning it to you earlier. 
Um, for me, I, I, I grew up in a really large family. I had a huge sense of community for a long time. Um, and it was definitely a contrast from maybe more mainstream American culture. It's highly individualistic, but I didn't really have that experience growing up. I had a great big family. And as I got older and people got married and, you know, deaths in the family, that kind of community broke away. And so I no longer had that. And when I came to college, I was kind of desperate to find my footing. And when I discovered nursing, I found that there's a lot of ways you can develop a community within the profession where you can find a community with nursing. And so I know for me, I'm really interested in going into maybe pediatric oncology or kind of taking a hard left and maybe working uh, with, you know, North American indigenous populations because I have a really great respect for their culture. And I think that they're, you know, a really oppressed and marginalized community and, you know, standing up for those populations and, you know, advocating for them is something that's super important to me, both as a nurse and as, you know, just an individual. And so there's always a great need for healthcare in marginalized populations. And so being able to advocate for them would be something that I could find not only empowering, but help me find, you know, a second sense of community because I think that those cultures are just so amazing and I would love to learn more about them and, you know, come at it from a more respectful and, and culture, culture-centered way. And so that's something that I'm thinking about. You know, I have a lot of time on my hands. Uh, that's not going to be, you know, my entry-level job. But I think about, you know, I've, I've worked on an oncology floor in my program, and that was a huge difference for me going from a more basic nursing floor where, you know, all the nurses kind of clocked in and clocked out. And then I, I came to an oncology floor, and it was very different. And, you know, they established that to me very early on. You know, they said, we're a family here you know, through thick and thin, all of our patients are going through some of the hardest challenges of their life. And you can't just clock in and clock out when you're a part of a community like that. And so for me, I think I want to find a job where I can find that sense of community. Yeah. Can I ask you if there was a specific area of the first peoples that you were really looking to like work specifically with? Yeah. Um, you know, I really haven't put a lot of thought in it. I know that there's a lot of um, like northern indigenous peoples in, you know, the more the, the Canadian area that have a lot of need. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, any any rural area, whether you're indigenous or not, there's a need for healthcare. And so unfortunately, with the way things have happened, a lot of these indigenous populations have kind of been forced back into a corner or pushed out of their own homes. And so a lot of them don't have the access to healthcare that we do. And so, you know, those populations are very uh, intriguing uh, to me. Obviously, um, I'd want to really make sure it'd be a good fit uh, for me. You know, I'd be if I were to to find a position such as that, I'd be going into their home. And so there would be a lot of work on my end to kind of determine where my best fit is. I don't want to push myself into a group that I wouldn't fit into. So, but, you know, I think also the Navajo Nation and the Navajo people are very, very in, in need of healthcare um, advocates. So that's another population I'm very interested in working with. But, you know, again, I think it really depends on where the need is and, whether the community, you know, wants me, like I said, I don't want to force myself into somewhere that um, I'm not welcome. And, you know, it's it's really putting the power in their hands. Yeah. And I think that's important because I think a lot of the issues that we've had, I've actually, uh, I had a moment there where I thought I was going to go be like a public health worker and work specifically with the CDC and epidemiology. And one of the books that I 
read was actually talking about how indigenous peoples and more like isolated communities really struggle whenever we do have pandemics or epidemics or outbreaks of any kind because what you know who or the cdc or you know the healthcare industry in general might recommend is not always in line with their beliefs and their community and there's never really been made an effort or a great effort to find a combination of the a two. lot of times people are very insensitive to that cultural difference and just kind of push their way in and tell them you know you're wrong you should be ashamed you're not following mo- modern medicine what you're doing is wrong you're hurting each other this is what you should do yeah so- definitely i i actually took a class that kind of focused on the way that you know a more westernized or bi- biological approach can uh-huh. butt heads with certain cultures and it's it's definitely not to say that their culture and their you know medical practices are less than it's just different and so like you said perfectly finding that mix and so i think that takes a lot of collaboration and unfortunately you know indigenous people have not had respect when you know quote unquote collaboration happened because it was often they weren't given a seat at the table or there weren't people advocating for them and so that to me is is a community that I would love to work with. I think that's great, you know, to be able not to be able not only to be able to but and be willing but to want to create really that difference and that's something that I admire you for because you would think that a lot of the jobs in the healthcare sector are about really giving to patients and to helping them heal and to be better. And so that's also something that's kind of boggled my mind in that compassion for cultural differences and identity differences is something that's is very lacking in there because it's not only you know something that you experience in terms of you know indigenous populations but you know there's problems like right now with different ethnicities being marginalized or you know people of color receiving inferior services because of the way that they look or whenever doctors receive a patient that's more heavy weighted, like assuming, oh, if they just lost weight, it would be better, or, you know, telling them, lose 50 pounds and it'll go away, instead of finding the root of the problem and really working with them to overcome it. In goals. They kind of just are like, here you go, fix it. I completely agree, um, especially in the healthcare field. There's a lot of, there's uh, a lack of out of the box thinking. I, I think, you know, textbooks, literally textbooks, all of the diagrams and the pictures and the figures and facts, they are centered towards, you know, white individuals. The rashes that you study, it's probably going to be on white skin. And then the second you get into an ER, you're in an emergency situation, you're trying to diagnose something and your patient is not white. They're a person of color, you know? So it's kind of like those moments where you're like finding your own blind spots in healthcare. And unfortunately, there are a lot of blind spots. And I know, you know, Brooke, you're you're wanting to go into the healthcare field, so it's something you're going to have to face too. It's it's a lot of unlearning, and I I still catch myself after a full four years and you know concentrated years and exposure to the clinical setting where I'm still I'll, I'll study a a chart of a patient or I'll practice and prep for something, and then I walk in and I'm like, why didn't I prepare myself for X, Y, and Z for this part of their identity? And it's because I just assumed. And so like that assumption is really dangerous. And so that's why I think those communities are, are in desperate need. Yeah, I think that 
a lot of, you know, what I'm going to have to, what I'm currently in the process of and what I'm, I still have a long way to go is like actively unlearning um, my personal biases and making sure that I do my best to, that they don't impact any type of like healthcare that I could, as, as you said, like sometimes you just walk in and it's like, why didn't I think of this um, impacting their identity? and the identity impacting their health. I think that's very important that a lot of physicians specifically, um, especially with like pre-med culture, um, is lost on them, which is really sad. Definitely. And I think, Mary Beth, you brought up the really important uh, aspect of like fat phobia and fat shaming. That's a huge issue in healthcare right now. Yeah, if you want to speak on that, for sure. Yeah, I was just going to say I have always like I've always grown up as a larger person and by the BMI scale, I, you know, would be considered morbidly obese. And so growing up, it's like my doctors, you know, growing up, I'm not the person who puts food on the table. I'm the 10 year old is not cooking the meals in my situation. And so it was always like the blame was placed on me to do this, this and this. And no one, you know, no one ever taught me how to eat. No one taught me how to find like other ways to move to incorporate the stairs instead of the elevator parking at the back of the parking lot and walking around like going for a walk whenever you're stressed instead of you know eating and finding like those coping mechanisms to change the way that you think and process instead of using food or drinks or sedentary behavior as really a way to cope with all of that and so I think you know if someone had taught me how to do that from a young age, like that could have helped me. I've been lucky in that I, you know, I check in with my doctor every six months and every year and I don't have any health problems because I do my best to always live healthy and get my fruits and my vegetables and my movement. But, you know, not everyone is, is blessed like that. And that's not really you know, what is a five foot four, 120 pound doctor going to know what it's like to be fat? What are you going to know about how we, how to get that down to what is an actual correct proportion? And like, how are you going to talk me through that instead of just yelling at me and sending me to fat camp and telling me that I need to go exercise 25 hours a day, which is a whole problem in and of itself, because those camps do not give you realistic coping mechanisms and retraining your brain. Like that's what you have to do. You have to retrain. And you have to always continually be active about it. You know, my weight fluctuates a lot because I can't always work out four or five days a week. I don't always want to eat the freaking banana. Sometimes (laughs) all I want is a piece of red velvet cake and gosh dang it, I'm going to have it. But I have to know, okay, if we're going to have the red velvet cake, we need to have balance and we need to have moderation. So then maybe... I go for the grilled chicken or I don't order the milkshake. I'm like knowing what sets my body off and what doesn't and really listening to it. And no one teaches you that in healthcare. That's something I had to learn on my own through an external program that should have been taught to me instead of just shaming me for the way that I look. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's when intersectionality comes into play. Um, And for anyone who may not be familiar with that word, intersectionality just means when you have multiple uh, identities that can overlap and, you know, marginalize you or oppress you uh, in in a certain way. And so I think in healthcare, there's studies done that have shown that women are not taken seriously with their pain and more so, uh, you know, black women are at an exponential rate 
uh, are not taken seriously for their pain, or people assume that they have thicker skin or higher pain tolerances or are searching for drugs, and, and none of that is true, like medically, <laughs> none of that is true. And so if you think about it, if you, you have a black woman who may be considered on the BMI, you know, obese or overweight, so many identities right there are held against them, and they're automatically going to be going through, you know, maybe something that you've gone through, Mary Beth, or someone else, and and even when they try to advocate for themselves, they're written off. They're not, you know, they're they're not believed believed, and they're not given that validation. And so that's a that's a huge issue in healthcare right now. And I even think about myself in high school um, when I was, you know, throwing up and unable to eat, couldn't hold anything down, and I went to any urgent care in ER you could think of. And they kept writing my pain off as menstrual, menstrual pain. I was like, I don't think menstrual pain happens up by, you know, your ribs. And it was just a whole few months of, of being invalidated and nobody believing my pain. And, you know, people suggesting, you know, weight loss or certain diets and me having to consistently advocate myself for myself as a 16 year old and telling them, no, I, I don't think it's the fact that I had Thanksgiving two or three days ago, I think it's the fact that I have an ulcer in my stomach, which is what it ended up being. So there's so much, so many issues in healthcare that obviously we go on and on about, but we don't have to. But yeah, I think that's a huge issue. And and for me, seeing all of that and then going into the field, it can feel very um, discouraging and I can feel very, very small. And so, you know, we're going into this we're going into this career and these organizations and institutions where we may not feel like we have a lot of power. And so that's why I think advocacy is one of the most powerful roles as a nurse. And so I'm sure, you know, Brooke, um, since you are intending to become a physician, I'm sure you're going to find your own way of advocating for your patients. And, you know, once you find that it's, it can be empowering in small ways. I, I definitely agree. And I really look forward to kind of seeing how I personally am able to, inc- to make my waves with that throughout my, my career. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do with that as well, because I think that you are going to be able to positively impact a lot of your patients and be really helpful for those communities and be really just a positive voice out there. Yes, I definitely think with healthcare, there's going to be a lot of continued learning. I think, you know, Mary Beth, you're talking about how, you know, eventually you can pursue, you know, a master's or a PhD within your field. And, you know, that may be something you're considering. And that's something I'm considering as well. You know, little do people know you can get a PhD in nursing and it is research focused. And so for me, I know in, in, you know, five, 10, 15 years, I'm going to be sick and tired of the systematic, you know, processes that are hurting people and, you know, the systemic issues and the systemic racism and prejudice that I'm going to see within healthcare, specifically in America, that I'm going to want to do something about. And so that's why I'm definitely interested in continuing education and finding a community in that way. You know, I think the uh, academic community can be very powerful and it can also be very toxic. And so I'm excited to kind of see where I, where I end up and go to pursue a PhD because I want to speak it into existence. <laughs> yes, speak it into existence. Look, Manifestation. And I think that that's a great place to wrap it up because there's, you know, not only the downsides of medicine that are continually evolving as practices change and become more inclusive and we get a more diverse healthcare workers and fields. And I think that your insight, Bridget, has been very good and exciting. And I'm very excited 
to see what you do and the change that you create because you are a change maker and you will positively impact a lot of people's lives just like you have positively impacted mine. But before we wrap it up, Brooke, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find us? As always, you can find us on Instagram at These Are The Facts Podcast. Make sure to check us out. Leave us a like and a comment. And we will be dropping weekly episodes on every platform that you listen to. Bridget, again, thank you so much for coming in and talking with us today. It was great to hear your insight. And I hope you all have a great night. Mm-hmm.